how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Australian director Justin Kurzel got his start in the theater. He started working on short films and made music videos with his brother. Eventually he made the jump thanks to these clips and started making movies. Kurzel was hesitant to take on his first project as he was offered The Snowtown Murders. Essentially the story uncovered true events revolving around a local murder and a spree of torture near where he grew up. Regardless, he made the movie in the area where it happened with local people and continued to take on challenging films like The Turning, Macbeth, Assassin's Creed, and now True History of the Kelly Gang. In this interview, the writer-director talks about making bold decisions, how toxic masculinity plays into the film, the history of Ned Kelly, why they chose to use the word true in the title, and the difference between Australian and American Westerns. I was, I was in theatre. I was a theatre designer and um, just spending a lot of time working with really cool and interesting kind of young directors in Australia. And, and you know, the great thing about theatre is you're always around actors in an eight-week rehearsal period and stuff. And and then I kind of just decided that um, I wanted to sort of work more with actors but more in film. So I, I started tricking firstly kind of short films and then music clips for my brother who, who, who actually composes my films. and. He had a band, and uh, I started making yeah, started making music clips for him, and and then um, out of that, uh, the producers of Snowtown liked my clips and started to um, you know offered me uh, that that film, which was something completely out of the blue, and um, I'd grown up in the area and I kind of knew it really well and was terrified of making that film, especially the first film, but. Um, that that kind of became the sort of start of um, my career, really, and and yeah, so it was it, it was really it was really just by kind of doing it, <laughs> you know, kind of like a, a need to really want to direct 
and and being very fortunate in that I've been around a lot of actors and 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 kind of just they weren't alien to me. You know, they 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 were people that I you know, artists that I really kind of loved and really got and wanted to um, wanted to be around more. Was there anything specific that kind of helped you face that fear, like uh, talking to a mentor or reading something or researching the the film? What kind of made you go ahead and take that jump? I don't know because every because everything was sort of telling me not to make that film. It was scary because it was about you know some a pretty kind of full on event in Australia in 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 South Australia, and you know there were a lot of people you know who may have been involved in it that was still kind of out there and uh it was incredibly gruesome uh when reading the material and interviewing people and i was quite worried about kind of being in that sort of uh headspace um for a long period of time but then things changed quite a bit when i i decided to make it in the area where the murders happened and a lot of the uh a lot of the people in the movie were were non-actors were people that we you know just got off the street for the first time or met in supermarkets or whatever. And, and it was incredible how that community is, was in, was unbelievably beautiful and engaging with us. So um, even though we were making this incredibly gory, you know, and, and horrific kind of story, the actual process of making it was kind of the complete opposite. And um, that, that definitely kind of pushed me on. And, and yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, it was like a first album, that film. It was kind of, I, I I just said to myself, it doesn't matter if I don't make another one. You know, I've just got to push and push and push this and you'd never get a chance to make your first film, you know, uh, you know, again. And you've got to make sure that you really go for it and take a lot of risks and push yourself with, with it because it, it becomes more complicated after that. So um, that was my kind of mantra and, 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 and that's sort of something that, you know, kind of, I guess, allowing myself the idea of failure to sort of always be there um, and and not being too concerned about that, but concerned, um, kind of, I, I guess, allowed me to be quite bold with that one. Well, it certainly worked out. How did you end up working with Michael Fassbender after that? You kind of went from a, a indie indie world to these two studio films. Um, Michael had seen Snowtown and we, we met um, when I brought Snowtown over to the London Film Festival and um, we were, you know, we, we got along really well and we were just talking about the possibility of working together and there were a few projects sort of going back and forward and then um, Ian Canning from Cecil Films sort of said, look, this is something I think Michael should do and it's an adaption of Macbeth and um, he loved the idea of doing it and uh I kind of came in and looked at the script and we sort of reworked it a little bit to sort of focus more on sort of grief and post-trauma of a kind of war veteran, but also, you know, someone that lost a, a couple that lost a child and what that kind of, how that grief kind of played into ambition. And that sort of led to, you know, Michael kind of committing to the, the, the project and the vision of it and the idea of it. And it happened really quickly. Um, I was actually involved in another film and sort of, I had to leave that film to, to, to make Macbeth and um, uh, that other film was taking like two years and, and Macbeth actually kind of got up within sort of three or four months. So it was a very, very quick kind of, um, sort of journey with that one. And then you kind of came back to Australia for this one, The True History of Kelly Gang. What, what attracted you to this story and what kind of theme or message did you want to send uh, with this movie? 
Well, it's sort of a forbidden thing to make a Ned Kelly film because they all kind of are judged pretty harshly. And um, uh, this felt really unique and different. It, Peter Carey's book kind of took a first-person point of view of Ned and brought him to life. And, you know, it was, a, it was an absolute play on kind of why we adore these kind of legends and these kind of mythical kind of um, historical figures. You know, why do we... Um, you know, what, why, why do we turn them into kind of things that are much bigger than they are? And, and um, we, you know, I found that really interesting in the in in the in the novel, and thought it was a really interesting kind of idea and theme. Um, the idea of your history being stolen and desperately trying to protect that, and why people want to take take a twenty four year old bush ranger and make him into whoever they want to sort of define who they are and who this country is was kind of a really interesting riff and um that that's um that was kind of what i you know i, I felt it wasn't a classical biopic it was it was sort of a, a film that was dealing with much kind of wider themes than probably the usual interrogation of of the Nick kelly story um and it was playful and bold and i was after something that you know after assassins i was really homesick and i was just sort of wanting to kind of be um pretty loose as a filmmaker uh, on my next project, and um, you know, it, it just sort of seemed to have all the ingredients to kind of, you know, do that. There's a lot of talk about this. You mentioned perspective, but also, you know, the word "true" is in the title. There's there's aspects of destiny and nature and nurture. What kind of made you, or perhaps just from the screenplay, what made you all decide to like show so much of his his child life, not just when he was a little bit older? There was there was. You know, it's interesting because you could do a whole film about Lil Ned and Harry Power and and the relationship, obviously also with Ellen. That that it's so prevalent in the book. It's probably about sort of half to you know three quarters of the book. So we always knew that that a big part of the book was about these these, these sort of you know formative years of Ned and 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 especially those two figures around him and how he was kind of shaped as a kind of kid. So. Um, and we love that idea of sort of seeing the innocence of a boy, you know, to man and then to this kind of, you know, ironclad monitor monster that he sort of becomes at the end and, and the kind of evolution of a kind of, yeah, I guess there's a sort of corruption of innocence sort of happening um, that was sort of similar to sort of Snowtown that we, we were kind of attracted to. But, yeah, that, that, that those sort of formative years and those sort of um, how, how these characters you know, you could look at Harry and Ellen as sort of mentors that, that sort of Ned needed. But what was really interesting was that, you know, the further you investigated it and, and brought it to life, you sort of understood that these characters probably needed Ned more than, you know, he needed them. You know, that they were kind of desperate and quite lonely characters and, and, and in, in a way quite selfish and that this kid sort of represented something to them. Um, and, uh, you know, especially in Ellen, that, you know, she was really... Um, and he was really scared that he was going to leave her, you know, that he was going to outgrow her. And, um, you know, the mother was desperately trying to, in, in her sort of loving kind of but destructive way, kind of keep, keep him with her. Making this film today, as opposed to maybe 10 years ago, there's a lot of violence in the movie, but there's also just a lot of looks at masculinity, but also feminine aspects as well. Um, was there anything you did maybe differently um, making this today versus at a different time? Well, there's definitely a sort of toxic masculinity, you know, in a, in Australia that, you know, is going through 
you know, a shift and a, a, a change that, I mean, I grew up as a kid and, you know, you know, if you weren't in the football team, you know, or a surfer, you kind of fell between the cracks as to what you were supposed to be as an Australian male. So I think, you know, definitely now there's, there's a real questioning about that kind of masculinity in Australia and what that is. Um, and the film is, I think the film is a sort of provocation to what it is to be masculine and what it is to be an Australian male. It wasn't about sexuality. It was really about kind of, you know, um, identity and, and, and sort of freedom to kind of express oneself the way they want to express it. And the dresses, even though they were kind of set up as kind of warfare, though they were inspired to intimidate the, you know, the, the, the British by the Irish rebellion. Uh, rebels, you know, the way they're used in the film is in in a very kind of liberating way, and there's a kind of fluidity with the way they they, they wear them that um you know is yeah we're always interested Sean and I. I mean, in a, it, it's kind of weird. We have these Mad Mondays in Australia that after the football season, the Monday after the last game, you know, you have a big party and. You know, the number of kind of men in those football teams that arrive at that party in dress, you know, in a, in a dress is, is quite quite high. So, you know, it was always kind of curious to us in these kind of big alpha, you know, Aussie males kind of on their day off at the end of the season deciding to all dress up in dresses together. Um, you know, we've always, we've always kind of found that quite kind of funny and interesting and kind of strange that, 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 you know, that you can have the extremes of sort of both ends uh, a little in the Australian male. But um, it's, uh, you know, it, it was definitely the description of them in the book, the dresses, you know, definitely kind of made us start to question Australian masculinity and kind of what it was and, you know, where it's, where it's sort of come from a little bit. Maybe before making the film, when you were thinking about filmmaking and cinematography, what are some other differences maybe we see in in American-made westerns versus Australian-made western movies? Well, there's a romanticism, I think, to the American western that the Australian westerns, I think, you know, sort of starting to think about. We don't make a hell of a lot, but we we definitely have a strange relationship with our landscape in westerns you know that there is there is definitely a sense that this land is not ours in our in in, in our westerns that you know that that the the kind of the white men in our sort of films are kind of imposters you know and there's a very kind of um uh challenging relationship that they have with the with the landscape it's a little i think australian westerns still a little darker and and um, feel a little bit more sort of uncomfortable and the landscape feels a lot more kind of isolating, whereas, whereas I think American Westerns, even though you know, there are many that are kind of quite dark and brutal, there's also a kind of really strong romanticism in them. And, and um, you know, that's kind of what I've noticed a little bit is uh, Australian Westerns are uncomfortable. <laughs> American Westerns, there's something, you know, a, 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 you can get into them uh, a, a little bit more. There's a softer edge to them. Um, uh, and that's not good or bad. It's just what I kind of observe. And the landscape in Australia always feels very, very intimidating. In in, in America, it, it's sort of, um, there's something heroic about it. So, yeah, they're, the, they're, they're probably the differences I see. 
And that is our show. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time, make sure to hit that subscribe button on SoundCloud or iTunes. Also check out the new video essay series on YouTube called Creative Principles. And give us a review. That's one of the best ways to help share these interviews. Thanks again.